The best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Gandhi. Bending, Not Breaking. Season 2, Episode 2. The Cave of Two Lovers. Oh, it's time for episode two. Episode two. Of season two. Season two. Of Bending Not Breaking. Bending Not Breaking. Please stop that. (laughs) 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 Please stop doing that. I just don't know what to say when you're doing the intro, and I want to be present. You can jump in. Uh, This is Sunshine Mayfield. This is Ben Bruin. And this is Bending Not Breaking, as we've said. And as, uh, as always now, hopefully, he has not quit yet. Our producer, executive producer, just producer. Primary producer. Primary producer. The dude who produces this. Only producer. The one, the only, Max Gongaware. I don't think it's a thing that like podcasts are that intentional about introducing their producer. But I know podcasts that do that. Well, I want to do it anyways. We're happy to have you here. It's good to be here. You're a new part of this family. Thank you. And just so everyone knows to keep up with Max, he has never seen an episode of Avatar The Last Bit, uh, Airbender, or The Legend of Korra, and so he has zero context for anything we've talked about, and he has only heard... Are they heard the same the thing, first... or are they two different things? How do I know which thing you're talking about at any given time? Like Legend of Korra versus Avatar The Last Airbender? Correct. So we are currently going through the series of Avatar The Last Airbender. So what does The Legend of Korra the have to do? The sequel series. There's a... Okay. So, so season two is Legend of Korra. No, 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 no. Seasons one, two, and three are Avatar The Last Airbender. So you're telling me we're going to, like, eventually get to The Legend of Korra. That's Correct. the goal? How many, to? how many episodes are in each season? 20. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but we've already done 20, so out of the 120 possible episodes, 20... We, you only have 100 left. We only have 100 left. We've already done 20. It's flown by. We've already done 21 episodes, so you're in it. If y'all are interested in producing future episodes of this program, <laughs> you can email airbnb at What is the email? I don't know the email. <laughs> All right, that's a great segue. Our email is uh, thearcofe at gmail.com. Our Instagram and Twitter are both at bnb underscore pod. Not Airbnb, though I see the confusion now after we've created that handle. I almost had it. <laughs> BNB underscore pod. Uh, and that's on Twitter and on Instagram. So please follow us there and uh, give us things. So we have different segments that we do. And so that's a great way to get involved in the show. You want to hear your What a nice segue to our next air? segment. Let's do that. Do awesome. that. What, what we got coming up? Well, how was your, how was your week, Ben? Was it good? You know, I really got a chance to practice my earth self-care skills, Ooh. you know, and now we're here and we're practicing this new thing and we're going to be learning about hospitality this week. Ah, like a hotel. Kind of. Sure. Know, that's think... always what I think of hospitality is people go into like the hospitality industry. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And that's sure, like sure, Disney sure, sure. and stuff. Yeah. Also known as the service industry. Ah, yes. Yeah. Which kind of brings us to our, you know, our opening quote from Gandhi is talking about, you know, service, but... Before we dive any further, I really want to make sure we hear from Max in the uninformed recap, because I really want to know what happens this week. Literally my favorite segment that we've ever created. Yeah, I want to know what happens, frankly. So, I, Max. As your listenership plummets, this is going to be your favorite (laughs) 
segment. <laughs> just I, because you know me and you think I'm funny. I, I think it's, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, but this is for me. This is my self-care. All right. Give me the magic words or whatever the heck right. you need from me. The opening scene is Sokka is reclining on a leaf in the water. Was reclining on a leaf. Are these people like really small? Kind of like a, it's a very it's a big, big leaf. leaf. He's you don't like, have to yell into the microphone. It's, it's a very big leaf. And so Aang, while Aang and Katara are practicing learning waterbending skills. I remember Aang and Katara from last week. Yep. So, and then the They're ending scene episode. is everyone gets out of the cave safely. But then the gang realizes that Omashu has been taken over by the Fire Nation. You hate to see it. Your key words this week are love, tunnel, badgermal, poison, and theft. What's On your mark, get set. You have around 30 seconds to do your best. Good luck. All right. Well, as we all know, of course, the opening scene of season two, episode two of The Last Hairbender is when Sokka is reclining on a leaf in the water and and then Aang and Katana practice water bending <laughs> forms. What's funny so far? Keep going. You're doing great. So, of course, a water bending form is like you could do it in the form of an elephant or you could do it in the form of a badger male or a badger mole uh or of course um that's that and when it's 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 when they do it in the form of a badger mole that Sokka and Aang and Katana all fall in love with each other but then it's a love tunnel that they're poisoned by and of course of course that poison uh thefts them of of that very same love which is what happens at the end when everyone gets out of the cave safely because they've been poisoned of love, theft, badger mole. And um, they realize that Amashu has been taken over by the fire water. Speaking of fire water. <laughs> well so, done, Max. Well done. Well, uh, as Ben cleans up a spill, I will recap what actually happened in the episode. You mean that wasn't what happened? That, well, I'm going to give you a, a C. I'll take it. I'm going to give you a C. Um, so what actually happens in that episode is... Uh, Sokka's reclining, they're practicing the water bending forms, uh, and they meet a group of nomads that sing that just show up and tell them about a tunnel that gets them from point A to point B towards Amashu through the mountain path. Secret tunnel. Secret tunnel. Secret, 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 secret tunnel. Yeah. Um, so what was that? That's a song that the nomads sing about the secret tunnel. Um, oh, really? Like, really? Yeah, legitimately. Um, so then, uh, we get a cut to Zuko and Iroh, who's having trouble finding food. Iroh finds a plant that is either the white dragon or the white jade. One which is a delicious tea plant, one which is poison. Drinks it as a tea. Turns out... Poison. It's poison. Um, we cut back to the nomads and them traveling through the tunnel. Aang and Katara get separated from Sokka and the nomads. Um, in the tunnel, have to find their way out. They turn off their torches, find that love finds the way out, while Sokka and the nomads um, get helped out by badger moles that get them out of the tunnel. Uh, and So I had that part right. Yeah, the badger totally. moles get Nailed them it. out of the tunnel. Yeah. They're blind, they're badgers, but Because they're those are the moles. water forms. Um, they were practicing the octopus form, so you were right on, the, there was an animal. Yeah, elephant. You were close. Kind of close. Um, you know, two elephants have eight legs. 
like right. an octopus. Right. Good math. I'm proud of you. Um, so the gang gets out of the tunnel. Zuko and Iroh throughout this episode in a parallel storyline are uh, given food and dinner and uh, taken care of by a nice family that admits that they were refugees at one point. And um, at the end, after all their nice hospitality, um, Zuko steals a chocobo from the family and rides it off into the distance with Iroh. It's Is Wayne course. Brady going to have to chocobo? <laughs> <laughs> that was an outdated reference as old and so talking about hospitality isn't this show this pretty old like why did it take until just now to do a podcast about it there have been a one or two out there we and they're, six? they're listening they're great they're good check them out too yeah we just have a different focus that's right the focus of this episode being hospitality hospitality Max, what was a time where someone was very hospitable to you, and how did it make you feel? I have a friend who majored in hospitality, and she now works at a hotel. And I've never stayed at any of the hotels she works at, but I do find that she's a nice person. So she's she's majored in a good thing. Is, so is hospitality I, mean? Is that being nice? I mean, I think it's like being nice, so but also part of it. I think it's part of it. Like you got to be hospitable. Part of being hospitable is nice, but like it's also being welcoming and inclusive and uh, caring about the uh, the accoutrement of whatever you're you're creating. That's a fancy word. I don't know if that was just one. Like, what is accoutrement? Is that how many words is that? Uh, I have no idea. No idea. I think it's French. It, is. <laughs> it sounds French. It sounds real French. Um, Ben, what were moments in this episode where hospitality stuck out to you? And then what do you, when you say hospitality, what are you looking for? What does that mean to you? Let's start there. So for me, hospitality, uh, and I'm going to hark back to again, that opening quote is it's all about service. I think hospitality is when you are able to put your needs aside and be in service of others. And I think that involves... Sometimes it's, you know, the typical thing that we think about is like, oh, when we have a guest in our home, we're going to treat them with our best effort. So we're going to give them our best food. We're going to make sure that they the, everything is clean where they sleep. We're going to offer up our bed for them to sleep in instead of having them sleep on the couch. Uh, that Like all of those things where we are putting someone else ahead of our, of our own self. And I think that's kind of what hospitality comes to for me. Uh, is that kind of a similar thing to what you paid attention to? I try, yeah, I try to look at it different ways, because I, I mean, clearly the, the biggest moment of hospitality is when Zuko and Iroh, known as uh, as Lee and what was the name that they Junior. Came? Well, Junior, yeah, Lee uh, Lee is Junior, and then Uncle Mushi, um, that were their <laughs> Cause aliases. Because he has a mushy face. Yeah. Um, but they were the... Um, they were, they were Eddie Murphy's in. character in Mulan? Mushi? That's a Mushu. Hmm. The dragon. You had me interested for who, half who, a second. Who, <laughs> who I don't think the dragon's gonna be in the the Mulan remake, like the live action remake. What? Yeah, I I have heard through what? news outlets that that won't be a part of it. That's ridiculous. So there are, there there will likely be no Mushu in the live action remake. That seems dumb. Anyways, back to Avatar. You mean they're not gonna have a live action dragon? <laughs> there have... was one in the Hobbit. 
There was a live action everything else in The Lion King. No, that was animated, bro. I would argue the same thing. <laughs> I would say that is an animated movie, not a live action movie. There's only one scene apparently in that movie that is... I'm going to have to cut you off. We're 12 minutes action. in. Let's get back to the hairbenders. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's that moment where Zuko and Iroh are taken in by this family and uh, given meals. And, and she takes care of Iroh's rash and... Um, but even speaks to more, they're, they're very vulnerable with the two of them. And so it, it's talking about being refugees and what it was like to be displaced by the Fire Nation and what that did to them. And um, what I'm guessing altered their ability to say, hey, we were refugees at one point, so we are going to be kind to people who are in similar situations. And so yeah. is hospitality contagious? Is that, is that, well, is that like a that, ripple effect? Something that I wrote down was that like their com- um, hospitality and compassion are interlinked, right? I think um, compassion helps teach Zuko and Iroh about the condition of what it means to be hospitable, right? It helps them. Um, it's like it's people are hard to hate close up, and I think this is a really good example of uh, the Fire Nation is uh, trying to take over all the Earth Nation. But really, when you get to know people on an individual basis, you see that people are people, and they want to help each other. And I think this is a really good example of how. The Earth Nation, who has been oppressed by the Fire Nation for years, is putting themselves in service of Zuko and Iroh. Uh, granted, they don't know that they're from the Fire Nation, but that act of kindness, that act of hospitality, is something that they desperately needed. Like, Iroh probably could have died if he wasn't treated. Right? Oh, ab- oh yeah, Iroh absolutely could have. But even Zuko, on an emotional level, of sitting there being like, Hey, I know what you've been through. I've lost family members before. I've been in a similar situation. I've been, I see you. I've been burned like you yeah. before. Like, I see you. Yeah. Um, and is that a part of hospitality? That that initial being vulnerable and empathetic, is that a part of it? Because that's not something you think of initially when you're like, I'm going to a hotel. I don't expect the bellhop to sit there and be like, I'm empathetic to why you're here. I guess maybe you do, but not in that type of way. You know, I I think that that depends. I think like there is service and then there's excellent service. And then like there are levels and gradations. Like, uh, people can be kind and generous and be serving someone, but you can serve someone better or worse, right? There's conditions of servitude and how that looks. And so if I'm going to be serving you to the best of my ability, sometimes that might involve me being empathetic and connecting with you and being seeing you for who you really are. And sometimes, like, I don't want my waiter or waitress to get to know me on a personal level. I want them to pour the water and then gently, like, okay, now I get to be and be present with the people who I'm with, right? And so I think that service looks different depending on the situation, depending upon who you're serving, when, how, all of those things make a difference. But when you're being hospitable, it requires you to be empathetic and sit there and say, what what does this person need or want in this moment? Precisely. Exactly right. You are putting their needs ahead of yours, right? What do they need in order to be successful? What do they need in order to feel better? And how can I serve them and make that happen? Perfect. Um, what were the moments for you where you saw hospitality? Did you see anything with the nomads uh, and, and the gang? Even before that, though, I, I think the opening sequence, right? I always try to pay attention to the opening sequence and see, like, does the um, the theme that we're looking through 
matter? And does it, can I look at this opening sequence differently? So when Katara's speaking about the Fire Nation attacked us, blah, 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 blah. Um, the Fire Nation's not very hospitable. And what that brought... No. No, they're, right? They're not. They're not to other nations. And I think that's not true that, like, people in the Fire Nation are not hospitable. I don't think that's true. I think that the Fire Nation, as in Fire Lord Ozai, and the people who are in power are not very hospitable. But that comes across as an entire nation not being hospitable, right? And so power really comes to mind here and it makes me question that. And so with great like it comes to like with great power comes great responsibility. And like when we have power, it is our responsibility to make sure that we are wielding in a way that is in service of others, right? That's kind of what comes to mind here. What do you what are your thoughts? No, I agree. Like, if you, you have a responsibility to treat other people who aren't benefiting the same way in a hospitable manner, um, you've got a responsibility to say, I've been giving these things. I'm going to use them in a way that treats other people fairly and, and hopefully shows kindness and compassion to them um, in those moments. Whether that's power in many different ways, right? There's many different pri privileges that lie out there. On the flip side, we see moments where you could argue that Sokka, when dealing with the nomads, uh, was not necessarily super hospitable. Um, That's because he was putting himself first. Or, you know, or is it when he was, I would argue he was super fearful of his own safety. Sure. Of his own physical safety. And so are you even capable of being hospitable when when you are in a place that is not a sphere of safety in some well, way, well, shape, or form. That's a really good point. So we talk about the hierarchy of needs, right? Like, you have to feel safe in order to be able to... Like, there's a... Um, you, you cannot laugh when you truly don't feel safe. Like, your body doesn't let you, right? And so, that I mean, as a general rule, I think that that can be proven wrong. But, like, as a general rule, what happens, your body doesn't allow you to truly feel happiness and joy and laugh because laughter is something that comes from safety. And this is a good example. Like when you are feeling unsafe, you are way more unlikely to be hospitable. And so therefore, if we want to build hospitality and we want that to be a part of our culture, we have to first, and we have to prioritize safety. Emotional safety, physical safety, mental safety, spiritual safety, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what would you say to the argument of like, we're not just going to put a bunch of safe spaces out there for people, right? We're not just going to build safe spaces. But I think, what, so what's the, what is the, that's not exactly what we're talking about here. We're not talking about building a legitimate space that is safe. We're saying treating people in a manner that provides emotional safety. Um, and if you have, you know, if you have an experience trauma that comes with, different experiences that was probably a poor way to word that then maybe you don't know what makes someone safe or unsafe in that sphere so to put context around that one of the thing one of the things that i have the joy of doing is uh i've been privileged to be able to lead what is what are called safe zone trainings and that is a lbgtq plus inclusion project in which uh we are training individuals community members etc to be more inclusive of the lbgtq plus community and so as a facilitator of that training, what happens is there's this connotation, there's this question, there's this construct around like, this is a safe space. And like all of a sudden, once you say that, it becomes a safe space. And that's just not true, right? That's not something that just happens when you say it. 
And I think what like a lot of people will lead those trainings and say, all right, y'all, this is a safe space. You can say whatever you want. And then people are like, uh, no. Because that there has to be work involved. Stuff that trusts the people who are in here to treat it exactly. That way. You have to exactly. You have to build that trust. You have to build a safe container in which people feel safety, and that's when people will start to share. And so, how do we create that rather than just say it? It's all about not just saying what we want, but practicing what we want as well. Well, I mean, but what about the argument of like, well, if you go through a non-safe space, you learn how to deal with that and then you can handle it in the future versus, yeah, you know, let's cool. try to create a safe space for people. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think that's bull. Um, and for, for me, it's one of those things where that's the equivalent of saying man up. I need you, you want, like, just man up. You'll, you'll, you'll learn how to deal with it if you just man up. You'll learn how to deal with it if you just go through it, Right. And, oh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Or it beats you down and it's a traumatic experience and then you have to relive it for the rest of your life. And it becomes something that uh, terrorizes you and makes it so that you aren't able to be present in the moment. And it makes it so that you're incapable of experiencing the joy that is in life. And so I disagree fundamentally. Well, that's one way to teach a lesson. But there are probably better ways to teach that lesson or to learn how to handle those things. Same thing with, like getting hit with a belt when you were a child, right? Like my parents spanked me with a belt. Well, they taught me things and I potentially could have learned those same things in a more productive way and not gotten hit with a belt. Huh. Right? So like, I think those are, when we're talking about hospitality, creating that safe space, creating an environment where people feel welcomed, knowing that they belong for exactly who they are, is, is vital to being hospitable. And again, I think let's like that's a really good example of what is easier as the person who is trying to hold their child accountable. It's probably easier to change behavior very quickly by using a belt. Well, and scientifically, you get a dopamine rush when you do that. Right? Like so, the parent gets a dopamine yeah, rush so when they do that. You get a one, scientifically, parent gets a dopamine rush, but also you're more likely to change behavior very quickly by using physical force. However, long-term, what is best in terms of servicing that child in a way that's going to help them be better in the future, right? goes back to the quote of take a reasonable amount of time up front so you don't have to take an unreasonable amount of time to fix it later. That's exactly what it is. And if we are able to be hospitable and in service of our children up front rather than using corporal punishment, we are better able to serve them in the long run by cultivating a child that is better equipped to encounter the world. For sure. So let's let's get back on task with Avatar and talk about the nomads because I love the nomads. Secret tunnel. Legitimately one of my favorite character secret stories tunnel. in the show period. I, like, I wish secret, they showed up secret, more. Secret, secret, secret tunnel. Because when we talk about creating a hospitable environment and a safe environment, they don't create an unsafe environment, but Sokka still doesn't feel well, safe. I, w- I would argue that they are incredibly open and they are unashamed of who they are and therefore it is very easy to be like they are so laid back that you can be whoever you want to be in their presence and they'll be like cool 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 there's a song about that yeah uh, yeah cool that's awesome and so in a way that's very liberating and um it makes it very easy to 
just be you around them. And you'll notice in that like opening scene where they're like when right after like the initial meetup, they're talking, they're sitting together and they're braiding Katara's hair and Aang's just sitting relaxing. And Sokka's like, <laughs> he's so uncomfortable with being We've gotta still. go. We've gotta go. We've gotta go. Um, That's what Max is doing when he like keeps us off of tangents by yeah, he keeps making on us go gesticulating behind, behind the mic. Yep. Anyway, I'm looking at Twitter. <laughs> Y'all sound great. <laughs> anyway, uh, moral of the story is I think that by uh, being open and willing to see people as they are and have no judgment, I think that's a really excellent form of hospitality. Yeah, but at a certain point it, for them, we get that one cut where... Um, Sokka comes up with an idea, and they go, Oh, you wanted me to think of an idea? Well, I've got an idea. No, I've had an idea for three hours. Yeah, so, like, at what point is it hospitable to be clear with expectations, whether you are the host or the guest? Um, well, and I don't even know if that's the best, because that doesn't define every relationship, but in those moments, what's the difference? You know, is there... Is there hospitality in being clear? I think the lens that the nomads were looking through was not hospitality. That's the lens we're looking through. And so for them, their like values lie in being present in the moment and not thinking about the destination, but living presently in the journey. Yes. That's their like value, right? And so when we look at this through a lens of hospitality, what we see is how they could be or were hospitable or they could be more hospitable and in this case sure i think in order to be better in service to Sokka, it would have been to say hey we should provide you with some the ideas we have to get out of this tunnel because that's clearly something that you value whereas Sokka could easily be held just as accountable to the nomads and saying hey you could be more hospitable towards these nomads by, you know, picking up your instrument and joining in every now and then. Right? It seems like we empathize more with Sokka because, yeah, we, we want them to get out of the tunnel because that's what's going to move the storyline forward. But, Not like, me. I could have spent a whole year in the tunnel with those nomads. Secret tunnel. Anyway, moral of the story is I think that hospitality lies in the lens of whomever is looking through it. And what does that service look like each time? Because it's different. It changes based off of the situation. 100%. Um, a little bit off of hospitality. I have two lines that the nomads say at some point during the show that I think are just lovely lines. One is when uh, Katar says, Is that real? Or is that a legend? And he goes, Oh, it's a real legend. You sure it's Katara that says that? Yes. Yes. Okay. Cool. 100%. It's a real legend. He just... Katara doesn't say it's a real legend. She asks if it's no, real. No. I'd bet a tattoo on it. Um, you won't? Yeah, I'll say if it's anyone but Katara, you have to get a tattoo. No, no, no. I don't want a tattoo. You get a tattoo if you're wrong. No, it's got to be all or nothing. Max gets the tattoo if I'm wrong. I'm in. Nope. <laughs> he just gets Appa right on his left thigh. Is that the guy who wrote Dancing Queen? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Um, but the other line I like is the the Bob Dylan reference when he goes, "The tunnels they are a changing," which I 
made me chuckle as well. That is a Bob Dylan line. I heard that song. The tunnels there are changing. Yeah, it was a it was a clever reference, and I really have an appreciation for the Nomads. They would have been my people. Totally. Absolutely. Hundred like hundred percent. Um, what else? What were other moments of hospitality in that? So uh, after showing hospitality, Zuko steals the the bird horse. Yeah, I think that's really interesting and worth talking about for yeah, sure. Let's dive in, shall we? So, like when when people have been kind to me, when people have been generous and willing to serve me in a way that makes me better, my first gut instinct is not to take more from them. However, my question is, what kind of mental space do I need to be in where I feel justified doing that? And he talks about this in the beginning. He talks about how uh, I'm struggling. I'm royalty. I shouldn't have to be doing this. I like, And he feels like this is rightfully his in a way. And I think that's really interesting in terms of like what allows him to be hospitable versus what doesn't. And I just, I'm, I think that has something to do with it. Is there a base level of fear that he has of like being caught or not reaching his goal? And so does that fear put him in a place of, um, these types of actions because it's driven by fear instead of compassion? Probably. Likely. Um, I think what, to me, what was one of the bigger issues was that Iroh went along with it, what I would say relatively easily, he, you get this initial, what are you doing? They were just so kind to us. And then Zuko's like, yep, and they're about to be even kinder. And Iroh reluctantly gets on the bird horse and goes with him. Like, could he have not done more in that moment? Or like, led differently? I think that had it been me, I probably would have, but I'm also... No, we're not going to do this. I think I'm also probably not the best teacher for Zuko. And I might be able to offer him something, but I don't think he would be... I don't know that he was ready for that. And I don't know that he would have responded well to Iroh in that moment had he pushed too hard. Interesting. Like, I, like Zuko would have gone either way. Like, he would have left Iroh. I want, yeah, I think that he would have been like, I'm not dealing with, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm going to go because I'm tired of it. And was he a little bit uncomfortable by, like, the vulnerability that the... I think that's the exactly what it was. To him? And so he's like, I got to get out of here. I cannot stick around here because she's making me feel things. And She's I feel making like, me feel my feelings, and, and I don't like that. I think he had to dehumanize her in a way in order to allow himself to do that so if this is just a, a stranger she's that a I peasant can steal from she's an earth kingdom peasant and i can steal from her because i'm royalty because i'm so if because she is so like me yeah that i have to distance distance myself from her if i have to say put myself in a space that says like i'm so similar to her but i'm not supposed to be yeah the fear that comes along with that Ooh, i like that i vibe with that a lot interesting any other thoughts for this specific episode? They get out. The, the tomb scene was like... I don't feel that scene that much. You know, the only thing that really spoke to me that I wrote down was love is brightest in the dark. Like a lighthouse. <laughs> <laughs> yep, just like a lighthouse. It is brightest in the dark. So, 
for those of you that want to have a generic, like, inspirational quote builder for your entire life. Here's an idea. Let's give everybody a tool that they should spam. Yeah. Bl blank is a lighthouse. It helps show others the way when the way is dark. And then you can put anything into that phrase, uh, and it works. Hospitality is a lighthouse that shows other people the way when the way is dark. Self-care is a lighthouse that shows other people the way when the way is dark. Literally anything. You want to try it, Max? You want to try anything? No, but I would recommend Pruitt. Definitely keep whispering into the microphone. <laughs> That's going to do really well in the podcast form. He keeps us on track, and I love it. We're so much better when he's around. I feel targeted. <laughs> he, well, he called you by name. He literally targeted you. I don't like it. Was that hospitable? No. Okay, well... Max isn't listening to the episode, except he's just, just the levels. I have no idea. Like, I don't know what words you're saying. I just am looking at the levels. You need to stop looking at your iPad when you're talking. You need to look at Alex. Do we know your name is Alex? Yeah, Alex or Sunshine. Either one's fine. Why are we still talking about this? Because... Love is brightest in the dark. Like a lighthouse. Which is where we started. <laughs> it's like a lighthouse. And I thought that was really interesting because... I, I lost it. I'm just, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Bath bombs are a lighthouse <laughs> that show other people the way when the way is dark. We were talking about the tomb, and that was the one thing you wrote down. That's how we got there. You want to try it again? <laughs> Love is brightest in the dark. And I think that's a really cool statement. Yeah, so that's about it from that tomb scene. Like, the the story's cool about Omashu uh, and how it got its name. and But other than that, that's it. The, the whole that didn't serve much of a purpose. You know what's pretty wild is that, like, sometimes we talk about how stars are their brightest when they're in the dark, but, like, the sun is a star, and it's the brightest in the middle of the daytime, you know? Well, technically, it's I shining suppose. in the dark. Like, it's just so, we're so much in the brightness that it takes away the dark. I've heard it both ways. Interesting, though. The sun is a star. Another quote I really enjoyed from the mom who was hospitable towards Iroh and Zuko was, it brings me joy to have people eat my food with such gusto. Oh, she would love me. <laughs> Let me tell you. I don't know who the mom is in this situation. We got Max to talk unprompted. I love it. I talk all unprompted. What is eating with gusto? Uh, it's like a... It's a vigor, you know? It's a vigor with which you eat. Okay. Enthusiasm. Chutzpah. <laughs> All right. Max, that didn't uh, that didn't do well on the mic. I need you to do better. It did great. How <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would you know, Ben? You're not looking at the levels. Um, anything else we want to talk about this specific episode before we move on to... Uh, we've got another call-in from a fan. We have two fans. Two fans. <laughs> We're up to two fans. All I can say is don't let plans get in the way of the journey. Yeah. <laughs> another great quote. Plans... The journey is like a lighthouse, all right? Don't stop believing. <laughs> we can just go in circles and just little quotes. Mine will always involve a lighthouse. Plans can be a lighthouse. All right, we will be right back with our next voicemail, and we will talk about hospitality through... What's after Earth? What's after Earth? Fire? Wind. In the rotation? Water. No. Earth. Earth, wind, fire. 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 Great. Thanks. Air. See, you, you know these things. Max doesn't know these things. I know of the 70s funkadelic band Earth, Wind, and Fire, and after Earth is wind. See, that's not how this works. Well. We'll be right back after this quick break. 
You have reached the voicemail box of... Bending, not breaking. Please leave a message after the tone. Avatar, The Last Airbender, which is definitely one of my favorite series. Uh, I was listening to your podcast and also just kind of watching through it. And what actually stuck out to me from even just the first uh, like couple minutes of the first episode uh, was the way that Sokka and Katara um, go fishing. And actually... Uh, in Shakespeare, there are feminine ways to do things and very masculine ways to do things. And uh, for example, if you look at Romeo and Juliet, um, a very masculine way to die is a dagger, right? Penetration of something. And a very feminine way to die is something that isn't penetration. So like, for example, um, medicine, medication, um, you know, drinking. And so when I watched just even the first couple minutes, that's what kind of made me think of. Sokka is, you know, using his spear and penetrating fish while Katara is using her bending skills um, and water, which can, I guess, maybe see be seen as feminine. Um, and then another, another aspect that this always makes me think of is actually religion um, and faith, right? And faith of a lot of people see Aang or they hear of Aang and they're like, don't worry, like this has happened before. Um, and kind of like rub it off and even Sokka has no interest at first um but I think the power of faith and like what that means to people um because I think sometimes faith can lead us to uh, a path that feels really hopeless and sometimes faith can lead us to a path where there is this fruition of things um and so I think in this case Katara like uh and Sokka have this great privilege and great challenge of of dealing with faith especially in the last airbender um and and either trusting in that and or distrusting in that and i think that that has a lot to do with like the way i see faith right is is sometimes it's very difficult um but sometimes it does come to fruition so yeah uh shakespeare and uh faith that's really what what i have to say on that thank you Hannah, uh, that was Hannah who sent that in. Thank you. We have two fans, two whole fans. Um, but that's a really interesting thing. To, let's take it all the way back to the very first episode. Um, I we've talked about gender norms on the show before, but to really sh- show like that in even in an even deeper way, um, kind of shows like is there from a writing standpoint, knowing that it's a majority male team. Um, does that really affect the way that these characters are written and what they're doing, even subconsciously? Um, or is that just more like, yeah, that's, Sokka would have the spear because he's supposed to be the manly man, the, the masculine one, so what's that done with purpose? Um, and how does that play? But that's, that's a trope that has existed for years. 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 Centuries, even. Yeah, for you. Yeah. I think it's interesting because classic literature is, it's not just limited to classic literature and the tropes that are there. It's uh, appearing in all sorts of media that we consume, whether it be television, podcasts, whether it be books, novels, fiction, nonfiction, whatever it be, those tropes, those norms, those stereotypes are there. And those symbols are there, whether we realize it or not. And I think one of the ways that we can potentially change those culture if we want to change them is to become more aware of it. And so, cause often we're blind to it unless we are practicing that awareness. And I think what I really like about your message, Hannah, is that it kind of brought awareness to us 
in a way that I didn't even think about when I was watching that episode, but it's really nice to pay attention to it now. And as, as the show being almost a, a religious allegory throughout, it, it really is, right? Like, they firmly believe in the lore, they firmly believe in the history, they firmly believe in in the magic that they have, and um, there's moments that we see disbelief in it, and there's moments that we see um, maybe too much faith put into it. Um, but then also, how has this show been almost a religious experience for us? Like, we are currently creating a podcast um, talking about life lessons that can be learned from the show, almost as if it is a religious text. Um, and so it really is a powerful religion or faith or um, spirituality can come from many different facets of life that aren't necessarily expected. I mean, spirituality can come from fishing. Absolutely. Like, what, what brings you closer to yourself? What brings you closer to the connectedness that involves all of us, right? And whatever that is, whatever that thing is that connects all of us for you, whether it be God or whether it be love or whether it be something else, I think that whatever brings you closer to that is practicing your faith and having faith. And that might seem willy-nilly for some people or um, some other adjective, but... Frou-frou. Frou-frou, sure. Fluffy. But I, mm. like faith is hard. It is hard. I agree with you, Hannah. It's, it's not easy to have faith, especially in the moments where you're, where we're trialed, where we're, where we're in a trial and when we're tried. And so, yeah, I think it's interesting to see how this show depicts it. And I will definitely pay attention more as I continue through. You could almost see, at least for me, the struggle Aang's d deals with at the beginning when running away from what you would call the responsibilities or, um, the fears that he has to come up through the through the episodes really can be about someone's religious struggles that they experience as they go through life. Um, if you were someone who started going to, uh, you know, Sunday school or anything else, and then how did that challenge your viewpoints as you got older and and learned more and um, where people can be today? I think that that this was a really cool message, Hannah. So I appreciate you sending it in and, and letting us look at Avatar through. The, those lenses of faith and gender norms um, and gender depiction, and that was something super helpful. If you've got something you want to share with us, the archive at gmail.com is a place where you can send any voice memos. You can tweet at us at bnb underscore pod or check us out on Instagram, uh, bnb underscore pod there as well. Um, but thank you for sharing, and we're excited to have more of y'all give us your input and be a part of this show, so thank you. As we are talking about kind of our devotion, we are looking at hospitality through a fire, uh, the element of fire. Fire! Fire! Do you have a favorite song, Max, that has the word fire in it? No. <laughs> he's done. He's he's ready to go. Um, ben, what what are you planning on doing this week when it comes to... Do you? To I think before Fire that, by Jimi Hendrix. Before that, though... <laughs> Great pet band song. Before that, though, I think we need to talk about, since we talked about it last week, what is fire? What is fire? Like, how does that translate? What, like, what does it mean to you? What, like, what does fire mean when it comes to this kind of looking through a fire lens? Oh, man, fire is one of those interesting things that can be a helpful tool. It can also be super destructive. I see it as um, it spreads easily. 
Um, it can be very powerful in the way that it um, can provide warmth and, and shelter. And um, for me, when I think of fire, I, I always think of it with just like someone who's extremely confident, um, someone who's able to be out there and and play that role in a meaningful way. Um, I'm rambling at this point, but yeah, that's fire. When I think, I think of like confidence when I think of like the element of fire and the way that we engage with it. So tell me how you're going to look at hospitality with a lens of fire. I think one of the things that we talked about, about creating safe spaces and being hospitable, uh, to do that with confidence and to do that with a uh, strong intention and fervor and vigor, uh, and gusto, um, is really important. And I think so for me, being very intentional about doing that actively um, and not trying to hide that uh, that light, but to be able to kind of to spread it and, and do that publicly so that hopefully that it can warm others and, and inspire other people to do the same. And so I think that that's going to be part of my goal this week is how do I create safe spaces um, with a strong intentionality and confidence that helps other people do the same. That's kind of similar to mine. One of the things that I really want to focus on this week is I want someone to walk away from an interaction with me and think to themselves, wow, Ben is hospitable. And so I want to make people feel, feel that warmth that I can provide. I want to be of service and I, and I don't want them to think that for like my benefit. I want them, I want to do it so well that they think that, and that's where, that's the message that they receive from interacting with me. I don't necessarily need to hear it, but I do want it to, um, spread like wildfire. I want it to be so present and so visible and so warming that it spreads and that it catches and that it, um, becomes something that people around me also do. And that's something that I want to focus on uh, when it comes to fire and hospitality. Nice. What are y'all going to do? What are you thinking about doing this week? Tweet at us. Let us know. Um, and we can share some of that. But but do something this week to better yourself, as always. Max, what do you got planned? Anything that you want to do this week? No. <laughs> That was Max. Um, well, thank you again for, for being with us and listening to another episode of Bending Not Breaking. We are coming back next week, and our lens is going to be what, Ben? Next week. Next week. We are watching on the spot? a really cool episode of Avatar. Milk that time. <laughs> episode it. three. Yes. And we're going to be watching of Season it. two. Of season two through a lens of patience. 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 I had to be patient with you as you were pulling up your phone to find out. I forgot I had to produce that word. So. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Thank, uh, thank you, Hannah, and thank you last week again for Sam. And thank send... you, Max, for being so Always patient. Always thank you. Yeah, Max is very patient with us. Um, hopefully, but more been... importantly, thank you, Hannah and Sam. Yeah, they do. They those, that was great. Keep sending in those things, and we will keep putting them on these episodes. Once again, I am Sunshine Mayfield. And I am Ben Pruitt. And this has been Bending Not Breaking. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.